take back over. Cross from Wagner, loose in the box, shot over the crossbar. It may have touched a Nashville defender on the way out or got a paw or fingertip from Joe Willis. And it is out for a corner kick for Philadelphia. Welcome to the Club and Country podcast, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage. Wes is out this week, so I bring in as good a guest host as possible, 440 sports owner, Braden Gall. Braden, how you doing? I, that is quite an introduction, Tim. I, I will take that. As good a guest <laughs> host as possible, I think I think you're overselling me. I will do my best to fill the rather large and distinguished shoes of Wes Bowling. I cannot match his knowledge. I cannot match his dad jokes, but I will do my best, Tim. <laughs> well, I got to pump you up a little bit to make sure that we got a, <laughs> a good uh, uh, podcast on the way here. Of course, of course. Well, listen, only a couple of own goals today on the show, but in true Euro fashion, which, of course, the the own goal, very popular this year. Uh, <laughs> so, so only a couple of those uh, expected from me today on the program. Of course, uh, all the music provided to Club and Country by Moon Taxi as well. We love those guys here from Nashville. And, of course, the call from ESPN 94.9 there as well. All right, one nothing win over Philadelphia Union on Saturday evening. Yet another big crowd. And a couple of things, Tim, as we get into real quickly what took place on Saturday evening, uh, a couple of things that you have been talking about, and I think you mentioned this last week on the show, uh, this, this team has not been good in the first few minutes of matches. Well, <laughs> <laughs> they checked that box, scoring in the second minute, uh, of course, there with CJ Sapong with the nice feed from Mukhtar and Leal mm-hmm. to get things started. And of course, as you have talked about as well, holding leads, not a problem for Gary Smith coach teams. Yeah, I mentioned it last week. And once this team goes ahead, they, they do not concede. It, it, that continues to hold true. They have not given up a goal while they are in the lead yet this season. All, the, all their wins have been either comebacks or via shutout. So there were chances for the Union, but uh, one of the most dangerous drew a save from Joe Willis. And another came from a mishandle of a cross. But in the end, it only matters if it hits the back of the net. And the Union were unable to do exactly that. I think Gary Smith's numbers now, as a, a Gary Smith coach side is now I believe 31 0 and 12 43 consecutive matches without losing after scoring first is there something I mean obviously we know he's a great defensive coach is there something you attribute that to yeah it is that quality of the Nashville defense and the ability that they have to I don't want to say pack it in because Gary would take certain (laughs) uh, umbrage with that but certainly they're able to focus on the defensive side of things once they do have that lead and it's tough when a team like Nashville is as disciplined as they are to kind of find the cracks when they know that they don't necessarily have to find another goal to win. Well, it was one hell of a start to the match. And of course, nine straight unbeaten at home have not, uh, have not been defeated at home uh, yet this season in 2021. So continuing that form, uh, let's see what we got on the show this week, Tim. Again, uh, I'm excited to be here as a, as a guy who, you know, look, I, I was USL season ticket holder for Nashville SC. I called a couple games with Wes um, did some work for the TV broadcast as well. So I'd like to think that I can at least hold my own here, Tim. But uh, um, I, I, it is, I, I will come at it from more of a fan perspective as that's how I got into following Nashville SC. And, and it, it's how I consume it now, even uh, in the media. It, I, still, I still take my four-year-old to the games. You, you sit in the press box and write the stories. I get to take my four-year-old and watch her dance to the, to the, to the music. So today on the show, of course, early shouts. Uh, Nashville hands Philadelphia just its third loss of the season. They are now fourth in the table. Uh, Nashville is, of course, embrace consensus. 
And this is where we're going to go a little more casual here, Tim. And that is what is the best messaging for Nashville SC fans to convince their Euro loving friends that they need to watch. I find this to be one of the more interesting debates right now as Nashville is sort of having a soccer moment, if you will, uh, internationally and, and, and nationally. Of course, our mailbag, what is the formation Nashville played on Saturday? <laughs> and how can the roster be built in the future? Always fun trying to figure out a Gary Smith formation. Uh, and the outside in, that was the last game, of course, for Anibal Godoy, uh, Alistair Johnston, and Walker Zimmerman before the Gold Cup. Uh, Godoy going to Panama, Johnston to Canada, and Zimmerman to the U.S. men's national team. And, uh, of course, the other major continental co competitions approach their endings they group stage right everybody's got to be on their on the rosters they're set until the group stage and then the group stage ends knockout rounds begin and they can make adjustments at that point so 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 that that rule is like questionably in flux they might have to stick with it but i would imagine that regardless of whether or not the countries can make switches these are three key guys for their countries and as long as canada the united states and panama are in the competition you're going to be without these three guys for sure yeah, absolutely so early shouts embrace consensus mailbag outside in and of course uh we'll take care of the final whistle as well so let's get it started with some early shouts the free kick headed out and away by Dax McCarty of Nashville. And now Hani Mukhtar stoking the fast break. And here they come right to left with CJ Sapong into the attacking end. Distributes far side for Randall Leal. Reinserts back for Sapong. Wide open. Scores! They could barely wait. They opened the gates. And the boys came out. Fangs first. They sink their teeth into the supporter shield holders. And CJ Sapong strikes. 1-0 Nashville, 90 seconds in. All right, CJ Sapong has not had a strong year finishing so far. That's according to the expected goals numbers, courtesy of American Soccer Analysis, which we cite on the show all the time. The quality of chances that he's been able to find this season would probably see the average finisher have about four goals. And that was just his second goal of the year. So that's the type of goal that helps him kind of chip away at some of the the underachieving of his numbers so far. But, um, you know, he also had a few chances, including one or two that didn't actually result in a shot. So he's not accumulating the, the XG there. So they don't, they won't count against him in that regard. But if Nashville SC wants to have an elite offense, it's not just the first one that he has to finish. He has to be able to, um, you know, get his foot on some of these uh, services from Walker Zimmerman and, and Dave Romney. And, and if Nashville can get that second goal, we already talked about how that first goal is so important. If they can get the second goal, this is a team that's going to be an elite offense. And then on the other end of the pitch, Joe Willis had the other notable performance. His 63rd minute save against Sergio Santos, you heard it at the top of the show, proved to be probably Nashville's second most important touch of the entire game after Sapong's goal. And since Nashville allows so few shots, it's going to take him a while to level off with his XG against numbers. Like some of the offensive players, he's underachieving, so, so to say, uh, so far this year. But that's something that we saw him have outstanding numbers against the advanced stats last year. And I would expect as he kind of gets back towards that um, allowing 11 goals on 8.43 XG against is, is yes, he's about two and a half goals worse than you would expect, but that's such a low sample size that he's going to do a lot better going forward. Uh, obviously we'll, we'll get into the golden nuggets here in just a second, but I hear you guys when I listen to you guys talk all the time about these metrics and I'm curious the, the, the metrics indicating the team is better or worse than they really are, whatever. What, what do you take from all of those metrics indicating that they should be better? They should be finishing more? It's like, what, what is it that you take from the overarching story of the metrics for this squad? 
Yeah, I think the biggest picture that you look at with it is the expected goals numbers tend to correlate long term with your future success more than the goals that you do score. So if you're underachieving your expected goals numbers right now, which, as we just mentioned, Nashville is both on the offensive and defensive end. There's no guarantee, of course, but over time, you would expect that as they kind of finish at a more expected rate, they might actually have a lot more in the gas in the tank here to become an elite team, not just a very good one in, in the Eastern Conference so far. Well, we're about to get to Golden Nuggets, but uh, they left Saturday evening, I believe, tied for first place with DC United in the MLS for shots. So this, this is a team that's not not hurting for offensive opportunity. Uh, let's head into our Golden Nuggets here. Number one, the second fastest goal in club MLS history in the second minute. And by the way, if you're tracking this stuff early in the second minute, I believe like 109, 110, 111, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, and it's the second fastest in, in MLS history, as you mentioned. Last year's Atlanta game, uh, I believe it was Don Baji scored basically immediately. Obviously, Nashville played Atlanta a bunch of times last year. This was the 4-2 win, the incredible 4-2 win in Nissan Stadium. And that's obviously, again, for a team that didn't necessarily have an offensive reputation last year. They have quite a bit more of that this year. But that was sort of an indication that you saw what the game was going to become when that was how it started, for sure. Uh, golden nugget number two that was not just philadelphia union's third loss of the year but it was also only the third time the union has been shut out at columbus and at home uh, against new york and then of course in in two of the first three games of the season by the way columbus just opening their brand new building i believe right this past weekend yeah absolutely and it looks beautiful lower lower lower.com field um they don't sponsor (laughs) the pod but we have to refer to the field by the correct name right no no free shouts but it it does (laughs) it does roll off the tongue doesn't it So again, uh, uh, you know, listen, we all know how good Philadelphia is last year and, and pretty good this year. Huge mm-hmm. to shut them out. Yeah. And, and you, as you mentioned, there, two of the first three games of the year were the only other times they were shut out. And Columbus and NYCFC are pretty elite teams to, to be able to pull that off against Philadelphia Union. It seems so far that you have to be an elite defensive team. It hasn't felt necessarily like Nashville's elite defensively at times this year, but maybe we're seeing this team rounding into form a little bit. Golden nugget number three. Love this stat. Joe Willis leads the league in clean sheets with five. It's, uh, of course, he he allowed a single goal just one time uh, and a pair of goals on five other occasions. And a couple of those were early in the season. So some uncharacteristic numbers, but it's, you know, starting to see normal Joe Willis round into form. Yeah. And that's, you know, the, the number of times that he gives up a goal. And, and gives up two instead of just giving up one is what is really kind of making it look a little bit uglier. He allowed two goals on eight different occasions last year, and he had 11 clean sheets and seven times that he allowed one goal. So it's kind of skewed a little bit. That might be another situation where it's like maybe the numbers aren't matching up quite right. So we'll see what happens as the season goes along. But I would expect that his individual numbers get better. And so far in his career with Nashville, he's only allowed more than two goals a single time, a 3-1 loss to Orlando on August 26th last year. Is there any explanation for that at all in your mind? It feels like a totally random stat. Yeah, I think it probably is just a totally random stat, but it is something that, <laughs> you know, w- once you give up that first goal, depending on whether it's the second goal is, is the one that wins the game or not, it, it kind of the, the clean sheet versus allowing goals is, is more significant than the difference between the first and second goal. So it is something that's maybe making his numbers, again, look a little bit worse than, than it could be in the long run. Wrapping up our nuggets of the week, of course, Walker Zimmerman saving an own goal, I believe in the 88th minute at the end of that one could have ended Joe Willis's clean sheet there, of course, would have been the first in club history. 
Yeah, and and there was one off the post. Uh, Olivier Mbizo for for Philly put one off his own post as as CJ Sapong was trying to slide in for that brace as well. Nashville has not conceded an own goal, nor have they benefited from one in their club history yet. So neither side of the of the pitch, I would imagine, they're the only club with that with that stat, unless FC Cincinnati or Inter Miami uh, has done it in the last couple of years, just because it happens over time as you play more than one season worth of games. It's going to be something really interesting to watch going forward. Is it going to be Nashville accidentally putting one in their own net, or are they going to be the ones to benefit from it the first time that it happens in club history? Uh, every single manager, some who've been fired, of course, in the Euros right now, very jealous of Nashville SC's own goal <laughs> statistics right now. Uh, all right, that does it for our Golden Nuggets this week on the program. Up next this weekend is Atlanta United. Of course, I would love to see nothing more than this become a bitter, hated you know, a hundred year rivalry, Tim, I would, I would love for this to happen. We've seen some excellent showcases between these two. Uh, of course, uh, Atlanta scored in six minutes in each of the first halves, but then Hani Mukhtar pulled back uh, in the 80th and 83rd minutes. One of the most memorable games of his career to, to save a draw at Mercedes Benz stadium. This one will be a Nissan. Of course. I, I just, I, I love everything. I know Atlanta United is not fully healthy here, uh, coming into this game or maybe without some pieces for other reasons as well. I just think that this is one of those games that you circle. I think Nashville fans should be circling it. I think Atlanta circles it. I think the MLS and Don Garber are circling it. Uh, I think it needs to develop. And I, and I think we're on our way to seeing it develop. Yeah, to date, it's been, at least in the stands, more of a friendly rivalry. And we'll see if if some <laughs> impactful games might be able to to make that a little bit more a little bit more of, of a blood feud. We'll see. But you mentioned the guys, <laughs> you mentioned the guys that Atlanta's going to be missing. And the list uh, is still evolving a little bit, but there are some really big names on here. Brad Guzan, who's called up to the United States. Uh, center back Miles Robinson called up to the United States. Fullback George Bello called up to the United States. Uh, midfielder Ezekiel Barco called up to Argentina's Olympic squad. And then they have a ton of injuries. Um, another center back, Alan Franco. Uh, midfielder Emerson Hindman is out for the year, I believe. Uh, I believe it was against Nashville that he tore his tore his knee. Midfielder Franco Ibarra, midfield, midfielder Jurgen Dom, midfielder Matthias Rosetto, and and midfielder slash defender Santiago Sosa. I'm pretty sure every single one of those guys played against Nashville. And if you you get the majority of them out of the lineup. Uh, for this Thursday evening's game, it's going to make life a little bit easier for Nashville, but it also means that the expectations are higher and you have to get the result because if you don't do it against a shorthanded Atlanta team, uh, it does not reflect well upon you. Uh, that That's an insane list of players, Tim. To, yeah, to, no, uh, and, and we and we know incredible. that everyone in the league is going through some of this because of, of, of all the call-ups right now. And, and if mm-hmm. you had to... If you had to put sort of Atlanta and Nashville and compare the two relative to sort of MLS standards across the league, where would their losses to um, to to go to uh, international call-ups, where would they sort of fit and fall into the, the sort of the, the grand MLS picture, if that makes sense? Yeah, it's not just the number of guys, although the number of guys is pretty significant. That's kind of in line with a lot of teams around MLS right now, and, and the league knows that, and that's why there's a, a lighter slate of games coming up over the next few weeks. But it's the significance of these guys. Brad Guzan has started almost every game since joining midway through Atlanta's first year. Miles Robinson is not just a guy who is called up to the United States men's national team. He's a guy who's expected to be a future star for the US MNT. Um, George Bello is a guy who maybe doesn't quite have that profile, but has uh, developed into a major starter for Atlanta over the years. And then that's, I mean, that's just the guys who are <laughs> the cold cup. This is also a team that has a ton of injuries right now. So it is a, a pretty limited lineup. And I know we'll get to a little bit more of this with with outside in a little bit later on, but you know it's it's three guys. It is what it is. 
but to have two of them sort of as you're <laughs> coming from basically the same position for Gary Smith, that does raise some questions about what the back line will look like for them, of course, moving forward. But like you said, the, the, the MLS knows it and they try to address that as much as they can. I would like to guess that the advantage here is Nashville, correct? Like would, would, between at least them and Atlanta? Yeah, when you look at what Nashville was able to do on the road and then you bring a depleted five stripes team to Nissan Stadium, you would have to expect that Nashville goes into the game with a lot of confidence for sure. All right, it's time to embrace some consensus as you guys like to mock the sports media world out there. And I do appreciate that, by the way, that you guys do a great job of that. Um, <laughs> the question we have today, what, what do Nashville SC fans have to say to get their Euro snobs uh, again? politely and respectfully uh, <laughs> the Euro snobs out there interested in the home team. And, and I think, you know, the reason I sort of wanted to bring this up is I, I feel like, and we're going to get to the world cup qualifier match with Canada coming up in a little bit as well. But I just, I think Nashville's kind of having a little bit of a soccer moment right now. I think interest in the euros is way up. I think interest in, in the U S Mexico final from CONCACAF was, was, you know, everyone was talking about it. it's through the mm -hmm. roof, clearly international soccer, you know, decision makers and power brokers are focused on Nashville as a market. And of course, SC is having an even better season this year than they had in their, you know, expansion record setting first season. So I don't think anyone can argue that, that the MLS is, I don't know what, what number you would rank it in the world, uh, Tim, if, if we had to be specific about it, is it the 10th best league in the world? Is it the eighth? Best it, it might be, it might be around there. Uh, it, I think people, yeah. I, the point that we're getting at here is people probably perceive it as being much lower than that though. But yeah, I would think it's fairly pretty close to the top 10, if not a top 10 league. So, and, and, and I think what we want to get across to people here, which would be, I guess, our consensus ahead of the conversation here, maybe too early in the conversation <laughs> is that the, the MLS people should not be looking and talking and, and sort of comparing it to the EPL. It, they should be comparing it to the, the past MLS levels of standard. I don't, no one is expecting it to be right. as good as the EPL or as Bundesliga or La Liga or whatever. Like that's not the point. Like if you're going to watch an EPL game, and then immediately turn around and watch an, a Nashville SC game, you're going to see a difference in talent. And I think everyone understands that. But I, I, I think if you're trying to broaden the sport, bring in more people to the, to the product, which is what they're doing brilliantly right now with 22, 23,000 people on Saturdays mm -hmm. and a 17,000 in a week, weeknight game, it's perfect summer content for families on a Saturday night. That's it's fairly affordable tickets it is a two hour compact window, which is why young people like it with no commercial breaks. Like there's a million reasons. Oh, by the way, the team is good and playing, <laughs> playing in good, good matches that it's are a little side note there. Yeah. Right. The atmosphere is great. And the team is good. <laughs> Those are the two big ones. I, I just think that you cannot continually walk around touting how great your European soccer club is while also trying to grow the MLS. I think some of, I think that can hurt, Am I wrong to think that that can hurt the product's growth a little bit? Maybe not a lot, but like a little bit. Yeah, I think there is there is a certain segment of of potential soccer fans that you just aren't going to capture because they feel that way. But I do think that there are probably two main selling points to to win over some of those people. The first one is Everton does not play at Nissan Stadium. <laughs> uh, West Ham does not play at Nissan Stadium. <laughs> if you want to go see a game in person, you are going to see Nashville SC or you're going to see uh, an international game between the United States and Canada or you're going to see a friendly match. 
if you want to see competitive soccer close to home, if you want to be in the market of it, this is the team for you. And then, and then secondly, I think the, the discussion of, of talent differences between leagues is kind of a bit of a red herring. I quite frankly don't care if the talent is not as good. I, I think most people are aware of that. It's the entertainment value of the product that is more important. I think as much as the Premier League is unquestionably a more talented league, I think the entertainment value of Major League Soccer is often much, much higher. It's a league where crazy things happen. There's weird kind of, you know, cats running onto fields and not in the past <laughs> couple of years, but that's a kind of famous thing that happens. Right, and, right. and and some of these things that guys try when they don't come off because they don't have necessarily the talent of the Premier League guys, that actually makes it more interesting and fun too. It, it reminds me a lot of the difference between college football and the NFL. Obviously the NFL has a lot better players. Guys go to the, go from college to the NFL and perform better and improve their game and all those sorts of things but the, the entertainment value of college football for me i know everybody doesn't feel the way it's so much higher i love the product so much more it's not necessarily about uh, oh i don't feel like i'm going to see as good of a player it is about the quality of game and entertainment that you're getting and, and to me you know I'm, I'm with you on college football obviously everybody who's ever heard me say anything about sports <laughs> knows that i'm obsessed with college football and i think that's the charm right i think there's a charm element to college football that I think, and and maybe we won't fully be able to sell it to the market until the stadium opens. Right. But I think there already is, even in, in sort of a, a corporate sort of NFL stadium that needs a major remodel to try to get the World Cup in 2026, for example, um, at, at Nissan Stadium, even in that moment, my four-year-old who's who's going to the game gets to sort of experience the sounds and vibes and scenes of the game and the match and it's still entertaining product it's still an entertaining product on the field to your point about how sort of kind of expect the unexpected which i think is the beauty the imperfections of college football is what makes it so yep. much fun the imperfection and the charm and i think what nashville is sort of offering that that certainly plenty of other mls clubs have offered right like whether it's portland or seattle or atlanta there's plenty of clubs that have sort of found how to connect to their community, right? In like a really mm -hmm. big way. And I think what Nashville with music, shockingly, <laughs> and, and that's a soccer thing in, in, in and of itself. I think you're targeting sort of like five different people in Nashville. That There's like number five on the list at the top of the list is like the super diehard soccer fan who's already bought season tickets. who's going to every match anyway, right? Mm -hmm. Probably guys that men and women that are listening to this show and thinking, who's this Braden guy? <laughs> so that that that's that's a group that you already have it doesn't really matter they just love the game and they're going to watch right then there's like the the fourth fourth guy on the list who's probably no pun intended in but is you know you, you, he's not as committed but he's pretty much there i'm number three on the list i i personally am number three i have i fell in love with soccer i grew up playing soccer and you know in the 80s i fell in love with when the world cup came to to, to the united states in 94 i know all about roberto baggio going over the crossbar and, and I've been a, a fan of the international game ever since. I don't watch European club soccer very often. And so that's probably, that's probably makes me different than a lot of people listening to this show, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But, but I'm the person who's been a USL season ticket holder for Nashville SC, right? So like clearly I don't, that, that, that issue you're talking about wasn't a factor for me. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't a barrier for entry. As long as I'm not sitting down every Saturday and watching you know, the best quote unquote highest level, like you said, whatever you want to call it. I, I sit down and I watch a fun, awesome, exciting, entertaining, vibey product on Saturday nights at Nissan stadium. Like yeah. I don't, 
I don't need someone else to tell me all this other stuff about all these other leagues. Don't get me wrong. I'm obsessed with the euros too. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> it's been awesome, but I don't, I can separate those two things. Right. Um, the, the, the person that Nashville SC is, I think trying to go after now is number one and two on this list, right? Number one is probably the guy you're never going to get to watch yep. the product, yeah. right? Yeah. You, you sort of have to punt on them. But I think number two on that list, who's, it requires a little bit more coaxing and a little bit more massaging to get them into the building and kind of get them invested in the product. I, I think that's the per like, I think you already have four, five, four, and three in the building. Yeah. And that includes me as sort of a quote unquote casual guy. I think number two is what would take this to a, a soccer city and we could start calling it a soccer city. And I think that just, I think that requires the new stadium. I think that requires, you know, world cup qualifiers and, and just a cup, a little bit more time to, for it to marinate. Yeah. And one thing that as you were kind of talking through some of that popped into my mind, which is coincidentally another college football connection is the pageantry around it. And I think, you know, there, there are people in, in a variety of those groups, probably somebody in each of those five groups that maybe think something like the guitar riff is corny that maybe thinks something like the, the um, you know, the uh, theme song that they have at the end of the games, never give up on you. Maybe they think that's corny, but the pageantry makes it a little bit too. Even if you don't necessarily care for an individual element, this is the sort of thing that a casual fan is going to be intrigued by. And it's something that will get people in the door. Like you mentioned, they aren't going to a soccer game necessarily. They're going to an event and then they yeah. get to experience the soccer game. And that's what makes people fall in love with it. Well, and if there's one thing we know Nashville loves, that is a, nice party and a good event and uh, it doesn't matter what's happening if it's a good party nashville will show up but you got to keep that party going <laughs> and that's where a good team playing an entertaining style of soccer with you know dramatic fl the flair for the dramatic which this team has had this year already right i, I think that's what that's what builds a bond and, and a connection and, and brings you and and it brings you back to the park every time right um so just imagine I'm very impressed with 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 the crowds that are showing up. Very impressed with Nashville. Very impressed with the, with the club, all that stuff to make it as as again as as entertaining an experience as it is at Nissan Stadium. I I cannot wait to see what that's like in the new one. <laughs> like yeah, that, yeah. I think it just amplifies it all like times a hundred, right? I just think that's what what the new stadium will do to everybody. So um, I, I listen. It sounds like we agree. That that the you have to embrace consensus. You yes, that's the one part that you really nailed in terms of replacing <laughs> right. West today. All right, good, I got that. Um, <laughs> I, I'll say this: like as far as an actionable item for growth of Nashville SC in in this market, for for is probably to tell your your diehard soccer buddies to just lay off the MLS, right? Like, isn't that yeah. kind of the message? It's just like in, in enjoy it. It's it's fun. Yeah, <laughs> enjoy over, it is exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Enjoy it, enjoy it because people, especially maybe some of the quote unquote Euro snobs go into it with such a cynical mindset. And if they don't, I think they're really going to enjoy themselves. One of my friends is a, a British gentleman from London, was was in <laughs> was in England a couple of weeks ago. He's a season ticket holder, but had, I don't think he had been to a game yet. And he went to this weekend's game and said, that was actually a lot more fun than I was expecting. And I think yeah. telling people to give it a chance more than saying, oh, well, the quality of play is improving year over year, which is true. It's not necessarily the selling point that you even need. You want to sell the entertainment value of it, I think. Yeah. And obviously everyone who listens to this show is sort of, you know, already signed up, like they already buy it. So the, the idea is to give those of you who are already in, in, God, I hate it, in um, those <laughs> of you who are already in to, to sort of, what can you do to go out and become an ambassador for the product to somebody who maybe, 
is not buying in the way you have. And, and so that's that, forget all about that stuff. Come to the game and enjoy yourself and you'll see what it's all about. That, that's what we're telling to people. So tell you go out and tell you guys have agency in growing this product, right? Go out and, and sell it to your friends that way. And uh, don't, don't, don't look down on them. Okay. That's, that's not going to help. It's not going to help with the product. Like <laughs> explain offsides if you need to. Okay. <laughs> Mailbag time. I feel like we need a, a an audio. Uh, <laughs> what's the what's the what's the is it PTI mailbag? Yeah, yeah. I feel like we need or, or, or like Blues Clues. You and I both have yes. young kids. We know the Blues Clues mailbox. <laughs> I, I'm more of a Bluey guy. Uh, oh, Blue Bluey. We can talk about this off air. I love Bluey. Bluey's, I absolutely will watch it constantly. Bluey is great. King Julian and Bluey, best two uh, children's shows. Shout out to Bluey. Shout out to Bluey. All right, uh, this is from Chris. Whole okay. Uh, do you expect Nashville to pursue the option for two DPs plus one young DP, uh, plus a U22 initiative players as, as part of their long term roster strategy? How does that option help teams who are still building their academy? So uh, it's obviously very complicated, and so as, as we always, uh, or at least very often, have to do a little bit of a rule explainer. So designated players i think most listeners probably understand what those are by now but those are three players that don't count against your budget charge with this new u22 initiative you have the opportunity to get three u22 players whose uh transfer fee doesn't count against the salary cap but their salary does as long as one of your true designated players is uh, age 23 or younger so it's kind of a complicated situation i guess to, to boil it down a little bit uh you get you get three true DPs no matter what, but depending on how you use that third spot, you can get three additional DP-like players. So that's kind of the, the, the long and short of it. Um, so I, I think uh, when you look at what Nashville is doing right now, yeah, they, they obviously want to do that. That's part of the, any any advantage that you can get from the rules is something that, that Mike Jacobs is going to pay attention to and, and try to use. And that's something that I would expect. We'll see how it plays out as kind of transfer windows approach and things like that. But it's definitely something that Nashville SC plans to use. It, it is a very complicated rule. There's no question about it. Um, Nashville... <laughs> I, I hate having to explain it over audio because it is like <laughs> such, you have to sit there and like spit out so many words to get, to get the, the basics there. So obviously national DPs right now are Hani Mukhtar and uh, Yonder Cadiz. Randall Leal was one last year, but since he is not 23 anymore, uh, Nashville used some of its budget, fun, you know, all that, all that, that funny money they got. Uh, Rodrigo <laughs> Pinheiro, for example, would be somebody that is a U22 player. Um, so a big, again, a big transfer fee, uh, because the ceiling is high, but not necessarily ready for a lot of minutes. Right. Yeah. So absolutely. I think Nashville is going to end up trying to find as many Rodrigo Pinheiros as they can They, uh, since the transfer fee doesn't count against your budget hit, it makes them kind of a cheaper acquisition because they are guys who fit into your, into the rest of your roster, but you do expect that upside. That's why they have the big transfer fee. And so um, Nashville is, is going to want those young DPs, whether or not this rule had changed, but adding the U22 incentive to have one of your DPs be a young guy is really going to help. Like I mentioned, Mike Jacobs is going to do whatever he can to get as much talent on this roster. And especially he's going to build it very smart with how he uses his budget and his roster slots. And so as you go forward, yes, this is what's going to happen for Nashville in terms of teams who are still building their Academy. I don't necessarily know that there's a ton of direct correlation between the two, but as, as a way to acquire talent, it is definitely something that Nashville wants to take advantage of. And especially before they can acquire their own homegrown talent too. Here's the rule with Mike Jacobs. If there is a, a, a fine line he can walk or a rule he can use or a, a strategy he can deploy that would allow him to 
be as efficient as humanly possible with building a roster, you can bet that he's going to do it. How about that? Is that a fair, yeah. fair yeah. assumption? So he gets he gets accused of of not using very many dollars, but I think that's a that's kind of a misnomer. I think what he does is use each dollar as effectively as he possibly can, however many he ends up using. Yeah. Yes. Efficiency is what he's all about. Next question in the mailbag, Aaron. What is the latest on Ake Loba? I was out at training on Monday morning, and I can tell you that Ake Loba, the uh, Ivorian striker who most recently played for Monterey in Mexico, is not in Nashville yet. He was not training with the team yet. The expectation is still that the signing is incoming. We're kind of in it's a matter of timing situations. Um, as for the other rumored target, while we're while we're talking transfer targets with the MLS transfer window opening on the seventh, so very soon here, uh, Ecuadorian Michael Estrada. Things kind of headed in the direction with him that we saw actually happen with Loba when Nashville SC went after him last year. The, it became clear pretty quickly that the money wasn't going to line up for Nashville in a way that they could beat out some of the other suitors. Um, last year, we saw Nashville offer a transfer fee of around $6 million reportedly to uh, Monterey for Loba. They re-signed him for what would have been kind of equivalent of a $9 million uh, transfer fee. So it's just a situation where the money didn't work out. That's kind of what's going on with Estrada, but he's definitely going to be one that the club will keep its eye on over the years as they've done with Loba and kind of potentially landing him a year after not quite being able to seal the deal. Next question is from Chris. Was that a 3-5-2? I've heard people refer to it as a 3-4-3 or a 3-4-1-2 so far. I believe according to the the broadcast called it a 3-4-3. Tim, what say you about a Gary Smith formation? (laughs) So first of all, (laughs) before we get into anything, soccer people, and I am absolutely as guilty of this as anybody is, we can really get lost in the weeds of kind of how a team lines up and what that means. I think what's more important is you look at how they want to implement the way that they line up. Um, So with that said, formations are fluid and they were kind of alternating between a few different philosophies there. But the important part is what sort of angles of attack you get provided. Um, CJ Sapong and Hani Mukhtar were up top kind of as a strike pair, which would be the two in the formation. We know that the back was was a three or a five, those kind of it doesn't matter which one, which one you call it, as long as it's an odd number in the back there. So that, it was a three, five, two in those regards, but there were times when Nashville would slide players out wide and, and kind of change it to a, a three up front sort of situation. So again, the fluidity uh, and the, the way that those can kind of interplay and make it so that you're accomplishing the same thing and in a diff- slightly different look, make it not necessarily all that relevant in the end, as long as you get the job done. Yeah, it just it, wingers like to to cover a lot of ground. <laughs> yeah, basically is what you need to know about formations. I, I will ask you this though, just in general, if 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 a formation like they deployed on Saturday in the win against Philadelphia, if it allows more freedom of movement, more fluidity, more space for Leal and Mukhtar, is that something you are in favor of? Yeah, I think that anything that gets those two guys on the ball in favorable situations is what you want to do because they are the two most talented players on this team on the ball so far. So yeah, I think that is is really smart going forward. I would say that whatever value you get from, from pulling numbers out of that midfield and opening spaces, you have to make up for in another way because you're losing another body to go forward at times. You're losing whatever you lose from the equation you kind of have to balance that against what you gain by getting those guys in those spots. Yep. Make, makes a ton of sense. All right. Last one in the mailbag here, Piancito and Aaron both ask, have we lost the gold cup players? And we've yeah. sort of already talked about this. Yeah. Yeah. That was, it was asked before the Philadelphia game, but it is worth noting 
on that. Yes, they reported for international duty as we record on Monday. It was their first day leaving. Uh, it's their travel day to go join their teams. So they'll be gone at least through the group stage, barring something unforeseen. Which begins on July 11th. There you have it. So there is our mailbag for the week. All right, outside in, of course, we just talked about this. Uh, Anibal Godoy uh, is with Panama. They've got, what, Honduras, Grenada, and Qatar uh, in their uh, international matchups. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, it does seem like, in theory, if Panama does not make it through, you could, in theory, see Godoy come back, I suppose, right? Al Alistair Johnson, of course, rising star for Canada, and Walker Zimmerman, who is playing for the U.S. men's national team. Uh, obviously, we expect both of those two teams to, to do all right. Yeah, so Panama, you mentioned Panama's uh, slate there. And uh, other than Honduras, those are those are two teams that they should easily beat. And since the top two teams move out of each group, uh, that yeah, Godoy should be moving along. Uh, with Johnson and Zimmerman, they sh the United States and Canada share a group, and they are the two favorites within that group. Um, they have Martinique and the winner of a Haiti-Bermuda match that has yet to happen. There are qualifiers for the, for the Gold Cup now in this crazy world that we live in. But <laughs> all, all three of those teams should not really be able to compete with what is a pretty strong U.S. men's national team and a Canadian national team that is that is really improving too. I think the most interesting game will be which of the United States and Canada ends up getting the head-to-head -head win because that determines the group winner. Yeah, it'll be fascinating uh, mm -hmm. watching those guys go head-to-head. -head. There's no question about it. Uh, of course, the Euros and Copa America. Uh, you know, I, listen, I, I think Copa has some matches that I don't really have much interest in uh, from time <laughs> to time. But what do you make of the final four here, Argentina and Colombia against Brazil and Peru? What, what at least it seems like we've got some good soccer teams there. Yeah, absolutely. And Brazil has kind of been considered the heavy favorite. They are hosting after um, some some COVID departures from, from other host uh, opportunities around South America. So they're hosting and that's kind of given them the edge. Um, anybody who listens knows I'm a huge messy guy. I'm kind of pulling for Argentina in that one because I love seeing the guy play. You know, little lefty is, is always something that's going to be near and dear to my heart. But I'm going to disagree with you in terms of how interesting some of these games are. I have been absolutely enthralled by Copa America. And some of that might just be my desire to not to not you know bend to the will of the of the euro snap and say yeah south <laughs> the south american competition is awesome too i i listen okay i will i will admit that when the big clubs and the big countries with the with the experience when they get going it's great i'm not going to yeah. deny that there's no question about that i mean argentina colombia is a great match there's no question there doesn't seem like there's as much i don't know what the right term is um excess in the euros even though they got bigger Mm -hmm. Right. Even though they added clubs, it still doesn't it, it, it still felt pretty. I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe North Macedonia is different, but <laughs> but, <laughs> but it just it, it feels like and, and maybe it's just that yeah, there's I mean, just there's, as much history and rivalry with with these teams in South America as there are yeah. in Europe. But it just doesn't feel like there's as many as uh, of good matchups. It's, it's, yeah, that's the, all it feels like the depth of the European Federation or Confederation is, is much deeper than there are only 10 teams in South America. So, so obviously, if all 10 of them make a tournament, you're going to get so, you're going to get two clunkers at least in there. So, yeah, I, I can certainly see that. I want to see I want to see uh, North and South America and Central America combine and have an entire Euro tournament with uh, all of the Americas. That's what I want to see. Um, I know it'll never happen, but whatever. Um, all right. Euros. <laughs> you, you asked that for a mailbag question a few weeks ago. <laughs> yes, I did. Uh, Italy and Spain, of course, in one semifinal in the Euro. Uh, and then, of course, Denmark and England. It, you know, England always feels like it gets to this point. I, Italy is just on a tear. They're playing a more exciting brand of, of soccer than they normally do. They're always very good. Spain is the, is the club that I gravitate towards as a fan. 
I, I enjoy their pace. I enjoy their style. I enjoy how, how well they move the ball around. I, you know, they don't seem to, to, to whine and cry as much as everybody else does. For some reason, I just love watching Spain play. Um, we can get into what we thought about Belgium and what we've thought about the quote unquote golden generation for Belgium, of course, failing, um, but a really excellent match uh, against Italy in the, in the uh, quarterfinals there. Um, England, of course, there's all kinds of backstories with England on how they will may or may not screw things up. <laughs> you never know. They will. But it, I think, you know, while the one half of the bracket with England and Denmark certainly didn't feel star studded once they got to the quarterfinal round, it felt like the other side was so much more uh, top heavy. It, you hmm. still got the best two teams that won those two matches and are playing uh, for the chance to get to the championship. So what do you make of those those four that get those games will be as we're recording this on Monday? Um, what, uh, two o'clock on Tuesday and Wednesday, correct? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the Italy-Spain game is is where I see the winner coming from, mostly because I think Italy is easily the best team. Um, but I want to kind of go back and, and talk about Belgium real quick, because you mentioned that golden generation, and they're kind of going to go down as a disappointment. And I, it's just important to note, it's so hard. Only one team gets to win Euro. Only one team gets to win the World Cup. There are some really good teams that aren't winning these tournaments basically ever. And so, yes, it is disappointing for Belgium that they are not going to have this golden generation end up with any actual silverware. But at the end of the day, you know, as, as deep of the, as they've gone into these competitions, some of the times, sometimes it's bad luck. Sometimes it's, you know, things happen in a knockout tournament. It's a single elimination situation, but yeah, I, I've got to going back to the, what we're going to see in the next couple of days here. I've got to think that um, Italy Italy is my pick over Spain, even though my preference is Spain, because while Italy is playing a pretty beautiful brand of soccer right now, they historically haven't. And I think they should be punished for it. <laughs> I, I do think England's going to get over the hump and, and beat Denmark, but I I've got, I've got Italy taking down the, uh, the three lions in the, in the championship. Oh, my, my brain says Italy over England. There's no question about yeah, it, yeah. But, but I don't have to listen to my brain. I can listen to other parts of my body, like my heart, which is, I don't want to, I'm with you. I kind of, Italy is like Germany to me. I appreciate and respect how good they are. They're not mm -hmm. my favorite brand of, of soccer to watch. Yeah, yeah you know? absolutely. Uh, and the Belgium thing is interesting to me because you do point it out. Like if you have a golden generation and obviously the U S men's national team is, is maybe entering a, a phase where yeah, we could start looking one, at yeah, yeah. a big chunk of dudes that are all about the same age that are going to come up and either achieve some success or not over the next 10 or 12 years. Right. Mm -hmm. How many total tournaments do you actually have a chance to make a quote-unquote big splash and i mean like yeah. truly international big splashes it, over a 12-year period of time you get what five yeah, i mean five yeah, chances you get, you get a couple world cups and a couple euros every every yeah. two cycles it's not a lot of time to do that yeah and, and what i would say again as like the number three guy on the five guy scale of of, of interest here like the fact that i know three or four or five starters from belgium because I've watched them play so much over the years to me, that's almost as important. I mean, they, they obviously want to win it, but I'm not, I'm not from there. I'm not Belgian. Yeah. So, so I don't care if they win or lose, but the fact that I know their players and can appreciate their players, even at age 35, let's say, right. That, mm -hmm. that that's, that means they've made their mark somehow on the international soccer stage to me, at least, because I'm a casual guy who now knows four or five starters off the top of his head. And that's, you know, that, that means they, they've kind of crossed over into into relevance for those of us who are in the quote unquote casual fa fandom territory. Yeah, but, I, you know, to kind of play the devil's advocate to my own position earlier, <laughs> Braden known guys doesn't count as a trophy either, does it? No, 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 100 percent not. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but uh, to your point, like 
only a few teams win. You run into a buzzsaw right. this year, like Italy, right? They're just a yeah. hot team right now. I don't think calling them a failure because they lost to Italy is 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 fair. I guess is what I'm saying. Right? Yeah. No. Like, absolutely. I think that's whenever people criticize a golden generation for not winning silverware, I, I just say like it's hard to win silverware. Only a couple teams yeah. get to do it. You know. Also, I should get to award my own silverware. Apparently, do I know you? <laughs> if I know does, you, yeah. Does Braden recognize you, Trophy? If I know you and have invested in you and appreciate you, then then you get some silverware from me. So. Um, there'll be little kitty forks with like plastic handles, but it's fine. Um, <laughs> all right. So the big news, of course, over the weekend, as we wrap up uh, outside in here, uh, before we get to the final whistle, the World Cup qualifier is coming to Nashville September 5th. That's a Sunday, 7 p.m. Nissan Stadium, Canada and the United States. We just got done talking about how interesting that matchup will be in the Gold Cup. And I think, you know, you, you look at this, this match. I, I think what's interesting is not only is it a qualifier, but it is the kickoff to the qualifier knowing that this team needs some tour de force performances to right some wrongs, let's call them in the past. Yeah. And from, from the perspective of what we were talking about and embracing consensus, this is another opportunity for the city of Nashville to show that it's a soccer city. And I think fans should be telling their friends, Hey, it's time. It's time to show that we're for real about this team. Um, obviously the, Rivalry between the United States and Canada is not as strong in soccer as it is in some other sports because of that Mexico rivalry. But um, Canada's got a pretty impressive win over the United States within the last couple of years. And yes, the U.S. got a, a measure of revenge um, earlier earlier this uh, season or this spring. But uh, I think there's as much as we talk about a golden generation potentially coming for the United States. There's one of those for Canada too. This is a really exciting and young Canada team. I think the rivalry between these two teams could be taken to a level that probably it hasn't been seen ever since the U S really started taking soccer seriously in, in, in the 1994 cycle, a, a strong Canadian side, U S side and Mexican side, which we don't have to worry about though. If those three are all good at the same time, that is good for our, our the development of young players in our continent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. Absolutely. That that's what the benefit is here. And obviously points and results and you know, the, the qualifying for the World Cup, all that stuff is what matters primarily to, to us as fans of the U.S. men's national team. However, as Nashvillians, to me, they've already won sort of this moment because they were awarded the game. And it, again, it goes to what we were talking about earlier, which is that powerful, important, moneyed decision makers in international and sort of national soccer circles see Nashville as an extremely valuable commodity. You know, you're not putting EPL games here and you're not putting Gold Cup games here and you're not putting World Cup qualifiers here. And if they get renovations to the stadium, they're going to get a World Cup game in 2026. You don't do that stuff if you don't view Nashville as a foundational piece in future growth of the product, right? Like that to me is one of the biggest stories from this. And I'm really interested to see the reason that this kind of broke was that Nashville ended up having to move its game previously scheduled for Saturday to Friday night so that the field would have a little bit of time to recover. Is this going to be the biggest crowd we've seen for a Nashville SC game because all these USMNT fans are going to be in town (laughs) to see that game? Is that going to help Nashville have one of its uh, biggest uh, turnouts since that initial game uh, back in February of last year? Have no shame. Ride those coattails, baby. Absolutely. I, I, yes. If I'm if if I am in ticketing with Nashville SC, it will be noted that I am not. I'm making tickets very cheap for the upper deck that weekend, and seeing how many people we can cram into Nissan Stadium. Hell yeah, man! Absolutely. Yeah. No no question about it. All right, let's get to the final whistle. 
All right, I'm going to recommend one piece of content this week, and that is something that we just spent a little bit of time talking about. It is the Gold Cup. I absolutely love continental competition. <clears throat> and as we discussed a second ago, Europe doesn't necessarily do it for me. And it's, it, it might just be kind of the, the counterculture kind of mindset that led me to soccer in the first place. That over is some ridiculous. Other That's ridiculous. But I, I like to see the character of, of a CONCACAF competition or a CONMEBOL competition versus Euro. Again, I appreciate the higher level of play in, in Euro than maybe most of these games in, in CONCACAF or in CONMEBOL. But it, there's it, there's so much more like heart and spirit to it. It does have that college football feel to me in a way that Euro is always going to feel a little bit corporate. Okay, all right, <laughs> I, that, that's fine. Can I can I still enjoy my Euro competition? No, and feel, and I still feel enjoy Euro. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. People <laughs> have to keep in mind that there's other soccer out there. All right, that's fair. That is fair. That is for sure. All right, Atlanta United coming up. Predictions, Tim. What you got? I have to think that, you know, as we talked about uh, back at the beginning of the pod, a really weak Atlanta team, it, they do have something to prove to Nashville because they felt hard done by giving up those two honey Mukhtar goals to, to get the draw in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. But I just don't think they have the horses right now to, to run with this Nashville team. Yes, Nashville is going to be without Walker Zimmerman, Anibal Godoy, and Alistair Johnston. But, you know, we ran through the laundry list of guys that Atlanta doesn't have or might not have. You have to think that Nashville ends up getting a win. I think they keep a clean sheet for the second match in a row, and that's going to be the difference maker as they get a, just a, a one nothing win. And, and I could see much more likely that it's a, a greater margin of victory than that Nashville drops a, a, all three points. I, I, I'm just a fill-in host, so what I see <laughs> doesn't matter here. I can be like 3 nil. I'll put baby. you on the spot nonetheless. 3 nil, baby. <laughs> 4 nil. Like if they even won, I don't even think they even have a 3 nil win right now. So uh, they, they, they beat Houston, I think, by three, maybe a couple like last year. I don't remember. But it, it, three nothing, four nothing. I can't be held accountable for my actions. I'm not even going to be here next week. So <laughs> <laughs> it, it doesn't matter what I say. I agree with you, Tim, uh, as usual. I, I do want to say thank you guys for, for letting me attempt to hold the fort down here. For of course, West. of course. I have to say you did an admirable job filling in for what <laughs> I, I would call it uh, slightly better than average. Um, my, you know, my expected goals were a little bit lower than my, my actual goals. So um, that that's uh, Wes is back next week, of course. And uh, we'll, we'll bring all the professionalism and, and awesomeness to the pod that uh, I of course failed to do today. So, and more dad jokes, of course, way more puns than me. Uh, he's just got some strong. You should be able to make twice the number of dad jokes that either of us makes, though. No, 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 no. See, <laughs> or do you grow out of it with the second kid? <laughs> <laughs> yes, this, I have a four-year-old and a three-year-old, and the difference is my brain doesn't work and his does. That's the difference. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to say thank you, guys, the audience, for putting up with me. I, I really appreciate it, Tim, for for hanging out with me and letting me do this. I, I really do appreciate it. I, I love the game. Uh, I'm excited about where this product is headed right now. Not just the product on the field, but this podcast as well. I think you guys do a, an amazing job and um, getting to talk to the audience just for a few minutes this week was a ton of fun. So I do appreciate it. Of course, we appreciate the uh, the calls there for both highlights. That's ESPN 94.9, of course. All the great music from Moon Taxi, a local band here in Nashville. Make sure you check them out as well. Please share the product. Tell your friends about the show. Uh, rate, review, subscribe. Smash the subscribe button. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, where can people find you, Tim? At Club Country USA, or also if you're if you're not a social media person, ClubCountryUSA.com is where I do all my written work. Excellent stuff, by the way, as well. So you got the podcast, you got the writing, you got the website, all that great stuff as well. All the other great podcasts 
from the 440 Sports Network. Please check that out as well. Uh, West Bowling will be back next week. Thank you guys for listening. His name is Tim Sullivan. My name is Braden Gall. This has been Club and Country on the 440 Sports Network.